when Jesus was speaking about the new birth, he compared it to the wind. He told Nicodemus, and, you, and you've heard people tell stories of how they wanted a new life. And, and when he said to Nicodemus, you have to be born again, he just couldn't grasp that. Like, what do you mean? I got to go back to my mother's womb? Like, no, I can't do that. And Jesus said, well, it's kind of like the wind. He said, you know, you hear the sound of it, but you really don't know where it's coming or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. And I think what he meant by that is there's a great mystery to coming to Christ. When a person is drawn to Christ, like, like Sean. I met Sean recently when I was preaching at a Ukrainian church. Susie, Mike. Different people are drawn different ways. But the one thing we know for sure is that the Spirit is drawing people. He's the one that moves in people's hearts. He's the one that creates an interest. He's the one that, that is, is, is bringing people to Jesus. And the cool thing is he does it through other Christians. He does that through you. He doesn't need preacher Tom. God uses each one of us. In fact, Jesus described it this way. He said, when you believe in me and you receive the Holy Spirit... Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving deeply in our time through the circumstances of what's going on in our country, in the world. There's a great spiritual hunger and people are starting to realize that just like you heard from a number of people, something's missing. What is it? We hear of someone in the Netherlands that wants to be euthanized. We hear of a young man going, I can't figure out the meaning of life. Can I tell you, the meaning of life is, is Jesus. And your life will never be complete until Jesus fills your life. In fact, Jesus said it this way, if, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So this morning, as you've witnessed these baptisms... I hope that some of you are being moved to say, maybe that's what I need. Maybe my real problem isn't I need a new wife or a new job or a, a new car or a new career or a new girlfriend. Maybe what I really need is Jesus. And Jesus doesn't force himself on you. He stands at the door and knocks. But I'm sure that some of you this morning have a lot of things to think through. And I trust that God will work in your hearts as you ponder what you just witnessed. You heard a very powerful sermon before I even preached because you saw what great things the Lord can do. I'd like to invite you to turn for a moment in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we give out Bibles here and we love to encourage people to keep these Bibles. And one of the things that I've thought often is, wouldn't it be exciting if there was a tremendous revival in America of people reading the Bible? Just flat out reading the Bible. If you are under the impression that most people read the Bible today, you are greatly mistaken. 
less and less people identify at all with Christianity, with God, or with the Bible. Probably most homes in America, there's a Bible laying around gathering dust. Pray that God will draw people to read the Bible. It is only through the Word of God that people's lives can be changed. Jesus said, the Spirit accomplishes nothing. I mean, the flesh accomplishes nothing. My words are spirit and my word is life. So, if you are just joining us, we encourage you to take a Bible and to begin to read the Bible. If you have been with us for a long time, we are trying to disciple you to learn to read the Bible on your own, to grow and apply it to your life so that you become a disciple who makes disciples. And many of you are there, and we're excited for that. But this morning, I just want to take a few moments to ponder something that actually Mike raised. And Mike, Mike said it this way. He said, I thought after I got baptized that I wouldn't sin anymore. And it didn't work. Now, I'll tell you what I like about that. I like the idea that someone who got baptized was thinking about not sinning anymore. Because for some reason, there are quite a few people who enter the, world, the waters of baptism, who have no intentions of not sinning anymore. And that's one of the reasons that we offer a class in baptism, to make sure people understand what is going on here. And so I'd like to begin by looking in Romans chapter 6, in verse 3, and I'll explain a little bit about it, but I want us to read this verse because it relates to that very question. What happens after I'm baptized? Paul says in verse 3, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Now, I want you to ponder that beginning phrase. He says, do you not know? Now, he's not talking about people that aren't Christians. He's talking about Christians who have been baptized. And yet he says to them, do you not know? Charles Spurgeon wrote something very interesting about that. He said, some of these people who had been baptized did not clearly know the meaning of their own baptism. They had faith and enough knowledge to make them the right recipients of baptism, but they were not well instructed in the teaching of baptism. They might have only seen it as a washing. Maybe they never thought of it as a burial. And I think all of us, if we look back, if you have been baptized as a Christian, you'll look back and say, you know, gosh, what I knew back then probably wasn't near what I know now. So Spurgeon went on to say one more thing. He said, I question if any of us know the fullness of the meaning of either baptism or the Lord's Supper. And so this morning, for a few moments, I want us to ponder the significance of baptism. In fact, I think one of the things that, that churches need to do is make sure that we teach people well. In Hebrews chapter 5, the author of the, the book of Hebrews, he said to these believers who had been Christians for over five years, but they didn't know anything, and they weren't living any different from unbelievers. And so he says to them, wait a minute. He goes... You folks are like babies. You have need for us to teach you the very basics. You have need of baby milk. We can't even give you any meat from the word. 
And so then he exhorts them in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, so therefore, laying aside these basic things, press on to maturity. And he describes those basic things. He says, those basic things like baptism. Now, on the one hand, baptism is a very basic thing. But it's also something that we need to not only understand, but continue to rehearse and remember. You see, the Lord's Supper, we do it every month. We're not going to baptize you over and over again every month. But what I do want to do is remind you of your baptism. In fact, it was Martin Luther who used to tell Christians, be sure often to return to your baptism. And this morning, as some of you look back on your life, you go, I, I, I can't return to my baptism because I was baptized as a baby. Now, personally, I think that the Bible makes it clear that baptism is not supposed to take place until after you become a believer. Because it is a public way of identifying, I have become saved, I have become forgiven, and now I want to show the world. So, let me save you some time. If you're going to ask me, Tom, if I was baptized as a baby, does that count? My first question would be, count for what? Will it get you to heaven? No. Baptism will never get you to heaven, whether you're baptized as a believer or as an adult. That's not the purpose of baptism. It's not to get you to heaven. The purpose of baptism is to publicly identify with Jesus. And so Jesus said in Mark 16, go and preach the gospel and he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. So as we ponder this, this thought of remembering your baptism, some of you are like, gee, all I can remember is my parents told me I was baptized as a baby. So I would encourage you to consider that perhaps you were raised in a tradition where you were told, this is what gets you to heaven, or this is what identifies you so that someday you'll become saved. But I think the Bible's pretty clear, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it, that baptism is something that you should do after you're saved, after you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, having said that, I want to remind you, though, that baptism is more than simply a public identification of my forgiveness in Christ. Otherwise, I would be fine with sprinkling people. If all we needed to do is use water as a symbol and say, hey, looky, my sins are washed away, then I'll just... Throw some water on you go, look, just like this water, your sins are washed away. But I couldn't bury you. And the Bible says, we have been buried with him. Look at verse 4. We have been buried with him through baptism into death. Why? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. So this morning, I want to just take a moment to remind you that not only were you forgiven by Christ and your baptism celebrated that, but don't forget that you were buried with Christ and that you were raised with Christ for a singular purpose, that you might walk in the newness of life.
Theologians call this union with Christ. In other words, when I first become a Christian, I go, wow, Jesus died for me. And, and, and as, as you heard people share their experience, like, and then I realized Jesus died for me. That's the initial understanding. Christ died for me. But then I have to be taught. But you also died with him. Christ died for me. Just this Saturday, I, I met a man and, and he was sharing with me a terrible experience he had had with his church. And as we talked, and as you've heard me try to coach you in this, right, I asked him, why do you think God will let you into heaven? And he said, well, I think I'm a good person. And I said, okay. I said, then you've probably heard this. Why did Jesus die? And he goes, well, he died for our sins. I go, but wait a minute. You just told me you're a good person. He goes, you know, you really got a point there. I never thought about that. I said, yeah. And I said, you really do need to think about that. Because Jesus' death on the cross is the only way you're going to get to heaven. And if you try to add anything to it by being a good person, you're not going to get to heaven. It's Christ alone and the cross alone. So many of you have come to believe that. Some of you haven't yet. And I pray that God opens your eyes. Right now, as you're sitting there and you were to ask yourself, why should God, God let me into heaven? I hope that, that you would say, he shouldn't because I'm a sinner. But I believe he would because Christ died for me and I have accepted him. I have repented and believed in him. If you haven't done that, do it right now. Right in your heart right now. Say, Lord, that's what I believe. But let me remind you that it doesn't stop there. And that's where, sadly, I've seen over the years many people who came in this, this gate of baptism. And where are they now? Where are they now? And so what we're taught here is that baptism is a beautiful picture of our new life in Christ that leads to a new walk in Christ. And it's a journey. It's a struggle. But it's a joyful victory. And so let me encourage you to think of it this way. When you became a Christian, literally, whoever you were before Christ died that day. God took you and he put you up there on the cross with Jesus. And the Bible says, you died to sin with Christ. He took you off that cross and he buried you. And then he raised you from the dead with Christ. And so you ought not to look at yourself as somebody who had a little makeover. You are a brand new person. You have died to that old person and you have been raised to new life. In fact, the Bible describes it this way. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are gone. The new has come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a brand new person? That, that if my wife and I, as I've told her a little bit about my past, she says, I don't think I would have liked you back then. <laughs> and I remind her, I don't think you would have either. In fact, I don't like me back then. But you know what I do like? 
that guy's dead. That guy's dead. I, I won't find him on Facebook because he's dead. He's been buried with Christ. Augustine said it so beautifully as one of his old lovers was chasing him down one day. She said, Augustine's it's I and he didn't want to go back to his old life and get involved with one of his girlfriends so he was trying to get away from her. She said, it's I. And he said, yeah, but it's no longer I. It's no longer I. Now, why is that important? Because you and I need to be reminded when we witness a baptism, oh yeah, I have died with Christ and I have been buried with Christ and I've been raised with Christ. But notice what it says. To walk in the newness of life. So how many times have, my brothers and sisters, you heard me say this. Christianity is not just hell insurance. It's not a ticket from Jesus that says, hey, here you go. Catch like the farmer said to the potato. If I don't see you now, I'll dig you later. Here's your hell insurance. And then Jesus comes back and says, hey, what you been doing the last? No, it's not like that at all. When you give your life to Christ... You are completely forgiven, but God does a radical work. The Holy Ghost Geek Squad comes, and this is what it does. It takes out the hard drive of your old heart, and he gives you a brand new life, a brand new heart. In fact, this is how God described it in Ezekiel. And ask yourself, is this what you want? He says, I will take your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will pour out my spirit and I'll sprinkle water on you and I will cause you to walk in my commandments. One of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is God changes us from the inside. But if he changes us from the inside, it's going to come out on the outside in how you live your life. You say, well, pastor, what does that look like? How, how do I... How do I Take that to be true. We'll move down with me to verse 11. The first thing we have to do as we witness a baptism is to remember, Paul says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's something very attractive about sinning. In fact, I will go on record to say, sinning is fun. Sinning can give pleasure. Otherwise, no one would be doing it. People don't come and say, Pastor, can you help me to stop banging my head against the wall? I, I don't know why I keep doing that. But there's something about sin that's alluring. It's deceiving, but it's alluring. And, and, and I'm not talking here about just using drugs and, and going around and, you know, cursing and doing vandalism. Sin is simply living independently of God. Just doing your thing. Just doing what you want, when you want for whatever you want. You know, love is love and let's just all do our thing. In God's sight, that's rebellion. In God's sight, that's sin, that's disobedience. So what he does is he takes us and he crucifies us with Christ and he gives us this new life. But then he says this, now here's what I want you to do. I want, to I want you to consider now that you've been buried and raised now to walk in newness of life. So you consider yourself alive to God. What does that look like? That means tomorrow morning when you get out of your bed, you think to yourself, not what am I going to do, but what does God want me to do? It's a whole new way to live. Not my will, but God's will. But it becomes very practical. Look at how Paul personifies it and illustrates it. So he says in verse 12, therefore, 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its desires. So now he takes the presence of sin and, and, he, and he personifies it. And theologians call this remaining sin. If you haven't caught on to this, and the reason Mike was, was misled was no one must have taught him that once you're saved and baptized, there is still remaining sin in you. The power of sin has been broken, but there's still something in you that wants to Burger King it. I'm going to do it my way. Just so you know that I'm not alone in that. Does anybody agree with that? Amen? Is there anybody else out here that actually struggles with sin? I do. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says, you have not yet come to the point of shedding blood in your struggle against sin. But the joy of being a Christian is God not only forgives our sin, but he breaks the power of sin by making me a new creation and then giving me the spirit to transform me. And then he says, now let's get to work, Tom. You start serving me. You start allowing me to control your life and we're going to see things happen. So what does that look like? So notice how Paul explains it. He goes, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now let's just start with our mouth, right? An angry thought comes into our mind. Nobody stops and says, you know, I think I'm going to loan my mouth to sin for a moment so it can say a couple curse words, right? Nobody when they're sexually tempted says, I think I'm going to loan my eyes and my body and parts of my body. I'm just going to loan it to sin for a little bit. We don't even think about it. We just give in to it. So he says, knowing that you've been buried with Christ and you're a new creature and your sins have been washed away and God wants you to walk in the newness of life, the next time you begin to struggle with sin, actively think, wait a minute, I'm raised with Jesus. I'm a new person. I have the Holy Spirit in me. So now my hands and feet and my eyes and heart and my mind, I can actively present them to God as instruments of righteousness. This is what it looks like on a practical basis to grow into the image of Christ. So maybe for some of you are going, why do I keep looking at porn? That's a great question. If you're a Christian, why do you keep looking at porn? Do you not know? You say, but pastor, I have this strong desire. We all have that desire. But it's a matter of believing that not only did Jesus die for me, but that I died with him. And that he has made me alive. And God is asking me not only to believe it, but then to respond. And to say, Lord, I don't want to live that way anymore. Give me strength to start changing. And it's bigger than just going, okay, I'm just going to stay in my room and not sin. There's such a positive side to that. Because guess what? Jesus wants to sign you up to be his hands and feet. He wants to use you. He wants to allow your life to influence other people. And so when Paul says, present your members as instruments to God, it doesn't mean you just sit in your room and you go, okay, God. It means you actively begin to get involved. You, you, you join Bible studies. 
you regularly come to church. You start sharing your faith. You start serving the Lord. You begin to develop a prayer life. You begin to, to have a burden to, to see others come to know the Lord. You begin to try to be an example and to love people around you. 80% of people who become Christians, it's through friends or family members. So Austin and I have been talking. We feel like God's doing a revival in our church. The Holy Spirit is powerfully working. But that's not by might, but by the Spirit. So I continue to urge you all to keep growing, to, to, to figure out where you were. Some of you are like, I don't even know if I'm saved. Well, then let's get on with it. Are you just going to spend the rest of your life not knowing whether you're saved? Let's talk about it. And if you're having doubts and fears, that's, that's something to talk about. If you can't remember when you were saved, that doesn't mean you're not saved. I didn't see the sun come up, but I know the sun's out. Some of you are still floundering in your sins and you're not even sure whether you want to stop. And then some of you are going, I just, I'm discouraged. I, I, I can't change. It doesn't work. Do you not know? Consider it to be true. Let me close now with an illustration. Lest you think that I wake up every morning going, gee, I never even think about sinning. All I think about is living for Jesus. All day long I go, now I am happy all the day. Nobody's happy all the day. But intentionally, as I recognize that Christ died for me, Paul says, I no longer live my life, but now it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I start, I anchor myself in the gospel. That's right. Jesus died for me. And then I pray and I say, Lord, here I am. Use me today and help me to turn away from sin. And if I don't turn away from sin, Lord, forgive me. Help me to, 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 to get back with you. Help me to walk in the Spirit. So let me close with this illustration. When Abraham Lincoln pronounced the Emancipation Proclamation. There were hundreds of thousands of slaves in the South who that moment had been declared free from their master. They no longer had to obey their master. How many of them that day walked off the plantation? None of them. First of all, because they didn't know. And here Paul says, why would you continue in sin now that you're saved? Do you not know? But the day someone came onto the plantation and said, Hey, what, what are you doing picking cotton? Why, why are you filling that gunny sack? Why are you walking, working from dawn to dusk, trembling for fear from your master? You're free! How many of them, like Martin Luther King said, Thank God Almighty! I'm free at last. And they walked off the plantation. I doubt many of them. And in the same way as a Christian, sometimes sin feels so alive and well, doesn't it? It feels so natural and normal. And yet God is asking us to take that step of faith and saying, I will no longer live in the plantation of sin. I will no longer yield my members to sin. 
But because God has forgiven me and Jesus has died with me and because I have been raised in newness of life, I'm going to walk off the plantation of sin and I'm going to present myself to you, Lord. And you're going to give me the strength to change. Could I hear an amen? amen? Some of you go, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. I struggle with this. Well, everybody struggles with sin. But the issue of discipleship is this ongoing transformation. And this morning, God is reminding us, if you're a Christian, remember, you've been buried with him. You have all the potential in the world to live for Christ. Now, for some of you, Satan's been dragging you along and beating you with the rearview mirror for too long. You're like, oh, pastor, if you knew how I messed up my life. You know what? Jesus died for that. And you can spend the rest of your life living in the rearview mirror or like the Apostle Paul, he said, I want to learn to forget what lies behind and press on. Every day is a new opportunity for us to live for Christ. So if Satan has been holding you in fear and bondage and discouragement and defeat, may God's powerful word begin to speak life to you, speak hope to you, that God can use you. With all of your baggage and brokenness and quirks and sins, God can use you. And he loved you enough not only to die for you, but he loved you and me enough to say, come up here and die with me because now you're going to become the person I always wanted you to be. The Bible calls this a great renewal. Colossians 3 says, why would you keep lying to one another? Don't you realize that you're being renewed into the image of Christ? Are you ready to get in the game? Are you like, you know, I just, as, as, as people often say, I kind of like my life the way it is. If you like your life the way it is without Christ, I pity you. You need to do some soul searching because Jesus said, what good is it gain the whole world and lose your soul? So this morning, let's all hopefully say, I want to leave behind my old ways. I want to turn and live my life for the one who forgave me and died and rose for me which means God has something for each one of us. We need you. We need your hands and feet, your life. Those of you who are watching online, unless you have a good reason, you need to be in the body of Christ. God doesn't primarily work through computers. He works through people. And so this morning, let's all renew our reminder that I belong to God. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus, and he wants to use me. And let's pray for those who have just given their lives to follow Christ, that God will bless and use them, that God will open the eyes of our children and raise them up and use them. And then God would take us with all of our quirks and use us. Amen? Okay, let's pray. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning and you believe and you get it that he died for you, you can't just hang on the fence. You can't be on your way. You're either in or out. And today I invite you to say to Jesus, Lord, I believe that you died for me. And I'm willing to turn from myself and trust you as my Savior. I want to be forgiven. And if you do that, I'm, I'm urging you, please come and tell me. Tell someone that you've chosen to follow Christ. 
If you're having doubts and fears and you've prayed that before and you're not sure, come and talk to us. But if you know you're saved and you know you're forgiven, may this morning be a great catalyst to remind us that day by day, I don't have to live for myself or sin, but I can joyfully present my members to you. Lord, would you continue to move this revival at our church, make more and more disciples, heal more and more broken marriages, rescue people from fear, anxiety, depression, addictions. Take us and put us back together again and fill us with love for one another and then take people like Pete and McRae and, and all of us and help us to get the gospel out. This week I pray that each one of our members will have a divine appointment to use their lives to help someone for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on our congregation. And I pray that we will grow together as we interact. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.